So let's pray as we open up in Matthew 5.21. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here. We celebrate the coming of your Holy Spirit, and we invite you into this room that you would work in our lives, that you would show forth Jesus through us. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5, 21 through 24 is the scriptures I'm going to focus on uh, today. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. So we, we all know that God uh, looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance, um, but when he sees inside of a heart of a person anger, it's a serious issue with God, and we can tell by what we're just reading. So here Jesus says, yes, you've heard it said, if you murder someone, you're subject to judgment, but I say if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're subject to judgment. In fact, if you call them a fool, you're also in danger of judgment. Now, I know firsthand about the damage that can happen in relationships because of destructive anger and the things I spoke out of my mouth to those that I love especially. I think uh, everyone agrees that when you first give your life to Christ, that you become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new, and you change, right? But a lot of people don't realize that even after 30 years of walking with Jesus, he still wants to change us, and he wants to transform us into his likeness. So how can we change? Jesus is changing us from glory to glory. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which is not in front of you. But it, you all know this one. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right, so, so we are being changed as we gaze upon the face of Jesus and behold his glory. He's changing us from glory to glory. Anybody know what's in between the glories? A whole lot of painful things to change your life, all right? <laughs> that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, also, the other verse that's very familiar to you is Romans 12, 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that's changed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as we surrender our lives to Jesus every single day, he's renewing us and transforming us by the renewing of our mind. Our minds need to change. They need to be renewed. 
So today I want to I share a practical side of what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to see a change um, by the grace of God, the power of God's Word. Uh, as God changed me from having a horrible anger problem. So I'm originally from West Covina, California, and I'm one of seven kids. I, I'm number five, and I have a twin brother who doesn't even look like my brother. Um, he's four minutes older than me. We're fraternal twins. My dad was a World War II vet. He was a Marine Raider and a gunner in the South Pacific. He went in when he was 16. I still have his uniform. And um, he came out and he had PTSD. Uh, they called it being shell-shocked in those days. And one of the issues that a person with PTSD struggles with is a lot of anger. And so I saw it growing up very much. So at the age of 16, I was the first one in my family to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life and my Savior. And it was during the Jesus People movement, and uh, especially in Southern California, it was really rocking. My, uh, my mom and dad really didn't like the changes they saw in me. My, my life changed so radically, they thought I was involved in a cult. And so... Um, my, uh, my dad actually found, he looked in a law book to see if he can find a law um, that if, if you can't control your minor, then you can turn him over to the police, to the juvenile authorities. And he found one, and uh, he took me to the police station, and he made me promise I wouldn't go back to church until I was 18. And uh, the police officer dropped his jaw on the ground. I was like, what? <laughs> you don't want your son to go to church? He said, well, doesn't this law say this? And he said, yes, Mr. Cotter, it does. So I had to promise I wouldn't go back to church. And so during that time, I remember the guy who discipled me, Andre Jackson, he stayed in touch with me and prayed for me. And then one day I took a stand, loving stand, and I, I just came down and said, Mom and Dad, I love you more, but I love Jesus more and I want to go back to church. So to make a long story short, my mom beat me. She said, how would you like a beating for Jesus? I said, go for it. And so she just slapped me. And, and uh, after that, she came with me to church. She found out that it wasn't a cult. It was, you know, and she almost came to Christ that day. So... I just, you know, for me it was like this was real. I saw light and darkness. I knew what it was like to just really give it all to Jesus. So I continued to serve Jesus and ended up feeling a call to ministry. And so straight out of high school in 1976, I moved out here to go to Bible college. And, um, and then I went to, it was called Sweetwater Bible College, and it was part of Sweetwater Church. And... Uh, a couple years after that, I met my beautiful wife, Faith, who plays the keyboards. You guys know her. And, um, and the week after I graduated from Bible college, we got married. And it was May 30th, 1980, which we're celebrating our anniversary next week. I don't know why I've been like this First service, too. So, fast forward to 1993. We came to Living Streams, and I was a youth pastor, believe it or not, here. 
and uh, with our little family. And <clears throat> a little after I came on staff here, Faith and my two older kids, Melody and Jason, they were trying to help me see a blind spot. Anybody have blind spots? And, uh, and it got so bad. My anger problem was so bad that Faith was considering leaving me if I didn't change. So she fasted and prayed, and she, she and my two oldest kids lovingly confronted me on one Saturday. And so um, they said, you have an anger problem. And I remember I had a bigger problem called denial. And uh, it's not a river in Egypt. It's a reality, and it wasn't my life. And I would say, you think this is anger? I'm a puppy dog compared to my dad. And um, so I had this funny thing. I, I like to talk to the Lord, and he talks to me when I mow the lawn. So on Saturday, I love mowing the lawn. I still do. Did it yesterday. So I'm out there mowing the lawn after I just lived in denial. And by the way, you guys, we all know the verses that say, be angry and sin not. And, uh, and we're, we, we go and say, well, Jesus made a whip and drove out the money changers in the temple. And I knew all of that. I used to use it in my denial. But, um, but anyway... I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, do I have an anger problem? And I'm over there mowing the lawn. And he said, either those you love most are, are wrong again and you're right again, or it's the other way around. And I go, oh, wow, you're saying I have an anger problem. I remember coming into the house and just breaking and crying. And I said, I know I've said I'm sorry a hundred times. But this time I want to change. And I said, please help me. And so I asked them for their forgiveness. And, uh, and so this time I knew I had to repent if I was ever going to really, really change. And so I, I camped out in Psalm 51. You guys know the Psalm where David is repenting from his sin with Bathsheba. And, uh, and so it's a place of humility. It's a place of being broken at the foot of the cross. And, um, and so then um, I asked my family, I said, so help me understand what I do. Now, I, they would let me know that not only was it my words, but my body language. They said, you scream at us with your eyes and you get this vein popping out on your neck. And, uh, and, and it was also my tone, a condescending tone, angry tone. 55% of communication is body language, you guys. 37% is tone. So you're going to have to work on those parts too. And um, so one of the things I learned about repentance is, what, is that I couldn't blame anybody. I, could, I had to stop being defensive and stop being blaming people for it and uh, making excuses. And I needed to come to a place where I owned how I made them feel, how my yelling hurt them, the ones that I love the most. So Jesus took me on a journey, and he started to show me the roots of my anger. 
And uh, one of the roots that he showed me was that I had, I would feel frustrated and I would get pictures in my mind. I would feel like a dog that's being cornered that would growl. And I, w I remember saying many times, what do you want me to do when I was frustrated? And I couldn't show frustration without showing anger. I didn't know how. And so that was one of my roots. I had to deal with the frustration in my life. The second root was what I call the pressure cooker. And I would let all the things, the stressful things people said or did, just build up and build up and build up. And sometimes it was like passive aggressive. You know, you just hold it in thinking, oh, I'll be fine. And then when you least expect it, with those you love most, you explode. And that's what was happening all the time in my life. And I didn't like it. And then the third route was when I felt disrespected. And I think, I think we as men, I think women do too, we like to be respected. It, and even Ephesians 5 says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives see that you respect your husband. But I, I was uh, doing all the wrong things to get respect. And so there was this thing the Lord began to show me there's this principle that if you believe a lie, you get into bondage. But if you believe the truth, the truth shall set you free, right? And so the Holy Spirit began to show me the lies I was believing. And so I know there were many of them. And, but one of them was, um, it happened on one of the Saturdays, I remember, with my two older kids, I don't know, to me it's chore day, right? I'm still old school. And so I was like, not only I'm doing chores, but I'm saying, I said to my older kids, you need to clean your room. And so I, I told them, please clean your room. And then an hour later, I went over and checked the room and nothing happened in both rooms. And so I went back to them and I said it and I turned the volume up the next time. And then I waited another hour, and then I checked both rooms. Nothing was done. And so this time I went ballistic and just began to scream at them until I saw them actually go into the room. But in my mind, I started believing this lie. See, it works. They respect me when I yell at them. But the, when I came to my senses, I go, how many angry people do I respect? Did I respect my dad when he was angry? I became fearful of him. And so I was destroying my relationship with my kids, thinking I was getting respect from them. And so I really started to believe when I came to my senses that really what, what kids respect is when they see you with a humble heart, lead by example, be honest about your faults, and don't just sit there and use your anger that doesn't get respect. And so after that, I just started to, to go through this thing of being accountable to my family. I don't know why Saturdays, but I decided to, uh, to ask them to give me a grade. So I would say, how am I doing, guys? And I remember Jason, my oldest son, he goes, I'll give you a C plus. And I'm like, oh, what do I need to do? And you know, one of the things that really helped me was asking them, 
You know, because I have, I have this cluelessness. Anybody ever struggle with cluelessness cluelessness and insensitivity? I didn't know what I was doing, what, how it came out across to them. And, uh, and so my grades started getting up to A's, and God began to, to work in me. And, and the other thing was, uh, I like to see, when I talk to couples, I like to talk about an environment in your home. And so my relationship with my kids and my wife, at that time I had walls come between us, and I had a picture of eggshells everywhere. And it was like, when dad comes home, everybody just kind of goes in their room, Mr. Grump's home again. And so I needed to learn how to sweep up the eggshells, tear down the walls, and build an environment that's like a well-watered garden. And so one of the things that I wanted to learn to do is to develop a communication with my family where, where it was safe for them to open up, even about things that they're having a struggle with me. And I encourage you guys, provide a safe environment where they can talk about anything that's maybe bothering them about you. And uh, be, I learned how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, I mentioned that um, my dad and the anger I saw in him growing up, I, I had to... I realized I needed to own my anger and I couldn't blame my dad for my anger problem. But I did realize that I needed to forgive my dad and I needed to honor him that it may go well with me and my days will be long on the earth. Isn't that the promise of God? And so I asked the Lord and the Lord had me write out uh, a letter to my dad and he had me go on what I call a gold mining trip. And I started to remember all the camping trips my dad took me on and all the fishing trips he took me on, the way he gave one of his kidneys to my sister at UCLA Medical Center when her kidney failed. And he stayed with my mom over 50 years and I wrote it all out to honor him and thank him. And you know what happened is I began to have all this unforgiveness just go out the door. I was no longer offended. So the next point is stay unoffended. The last part of this verse that we just read was telling us that if we remember someone that has something against us, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to him. So part of my freedom was learning to forgive quickly and be unoffended. And you know, when Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So even on a daily basis, I take inventory and say, Lord, is there anybody that I need to forgive? I release forgiveness right now. I open the cage and let them go free. You forgave me a great debt, so I forgive them. I found out my dad carried that letter with him till it became a little rag. Then something happened, and my mom got Alzheimer's later, and soon after that, she died. My dad was still in the same house that we were raised in, uh, in West Covina, and he became very feeble, and he needed my help, and I became the pastor of the family, and so he, I kept going back and forth, and it was during that process that we became so close, we were like best friends, 
And I, I can tell you, my dad gave his heart to Jesus right before he died. And so beautiful what the Lord did. So I'm here to tell you, my daughter over there, that's why I'm crying. Rachel is 22. She said, Daddy, I've never seen your anger. And God changed me, you guys. I'm here to give you hope. If he can change a grouchy old man like me, he can change you too. But if I was to pick, if I was to pick the most important thing about my lesson that I learned uh, after being a Christian for many, many years and even a pastor, um, I needed to repent in order to change. And so I would say repentance is a process. There's a godly sorrow that works repentance and there's a change of mind. That's what the word repent means. It means to change your mind. And, it, and then you turn, and the word of God renews your mind, and you become a different person. In Acts 3, now, bringing you back to the day of Pentecost, I told you I would bring this back to Pentecost Sunday. When Peter preached the gospel, he said, in, well, you focus on the, the resurrection of Jesus, by the way. At the end, with these 3,000 people, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 3, 19, which I think you have up there, it says this in another sermon that Peter preached. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know what the word refreshing means in the Greek? Revival. When you repent and you turn your heart, you just surrender, the Holy Spirit begins to bring times of refreshing and a personal revival. May you experience a personal revival in your life today. God bless you. Right, well, again, um, we came into this understanding that as we speak about some very specific issues, I mean, our world wants us to focus on lots of different issues of what's making America or making people or making society not great, and, and it's got our attention all over the place, but Jesus is trying to drill in to, to some weighty, weighty matters within humanity. And we knew that as we would do this, that it would probably um, stir up some stuff in our hearts, um, especially anger. I mean, anger is not a 3%, 10%, 15% of the population type thing, but we probably all have a story whether our own anger produced something that is ugly, painful, or someone else's anger that, that has done that to us. And... Uh, and so we, we knew we were going to be doing this, so we wanted to create this little time at the end, a little differently, a little bit more thorough than we normally do, and, and just really ask the Spirit to come and minister His Word deep into our souls and uh, in, in a supernatural way. And so Kurt and I, as we prayed and kind of as Kurt prepared, and, and even this morning as I was praying, there are a few things that came to mind that I feel like our people that are listening online, don't, just because you're online, don't think you're escaping this. 
um, and people in this room that, that the Spirit of God really wants to talk to right now. Wants to do something with this message besides just leave you hanging or unsure. Wants to come close. Like I said, we're moving from a classroom to a hospital at this moment. And so if you can hang in there, and if you can kind of try and fight off the birds of pride and the birds of fear that want to come and nest in your soul and allow the Spirit of God to come. I know it's tempting to kind of just shut off and ignore when the Spirit pricks our hearts to just run, but this is a time to really allow the Lord to come close and see what He has for us. And the first thing that I wrote down was somebody that that basically just in light of last year, they don't have PTSD, they have PPSD, post-pandemic stress disorder in some ways. And they just, the amount of beating that they took, um, kind of like what Kurt was saying, the frustration or the pressure cooker of the last year, and it, it could be all the little things or it could be some really big things like divorce or loss of certain relationships or family dynamics. And you just... You just have found yourself now where your skin is so thin and you don't know how to get, to get back to a place where you're not so frustrated, you're not so upset, you're not so easily angered all the time. And what I felt like the Spirit said was, was that person, if they'll acknowledge that, if they can receive that, then, then I'm supposed to minister to them the verse that Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Greek word for the word rest there is anapao. And it says to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or striving in order to recover and collect their strength. And if we'll figure out how to, how to instead of kind of trying to figure it out more or try harder or strive more, if we'll learn to quiet ourselves and really kind of practice silence and solitude, to really try and get away with the Spirit of God like Jesus often did. That what will happen is we'll find that, that refreshing, that restoring, that replenishing, the gathering of strength, the collecting of strength will happen. And we won't be so quickly and easily angered. The second person was someone that really, when, when Kurt was talking about feeling disrespected, this is the person, whether you did it subconsciously or cognitively, you've really come now to the place where you are using anger as a tool to get love, to get respect. But it is a lesser and a counterfeit love that is never going to satisfy you. It might scratch an itch, but that's it. And you've been relying on anger to produce this. And you've been using it to think, maybe I have the power and authority, and it makes you feel better about yourself. But really what you're creating is some sort of slavery, not some sort of loving relationship. And in the face of that, I really felt like if they you are creating... That.